Welcome to the RCAP USA Roundup, a podcast where we have real conversations affecting both cattle producers and beef consumers. We're your hosts, Jaden Moreland and Karina Jones. With that, let's get to today's episode. This episode is sponsored by Range Magazine. Range Magazine is an award-winning publication devoted to the issues that threaten the West, its people, lifestyles, land, and wildlife. Known for its powerful photos and straight talk, Range exposes the land and lifestyle in crisis and shows how daily challenges are being met with grit, determination, and humor. No stranger to controversy, Range is the leading forum for divergent viewpoints in the search for solutions that will halt the depletion of a natural resource, the American cowboy. Range has a simple and honest purpose to chronicle the real working people of the American West and to provide an open forum to discuss the threats and assaults on the most unique of American lifestyles. For more information, visit their website, rangemagazine.com. Thank you, Range Magazine, for your sponsorship of our 2022 convention, and thank you for your support of RCAP USA. At our 2022 convention, RCAP USA members passed policy in support of Southern Border Enforcement acknowledging that the influx of illegal immigration is harming not only southwestern ranchers and rural communities, but also rural communities around the country. We sat down with New Mexico rancher Erica Valdez to learn the realities of border life and ranching in an often forgotten and defenseless area of our country. Okay, well, welcome to today's episode of the RCAP USA Roundup. Erica, it is a pleasure to have you on with us, and we are looking forward to hearing your perspective on ranching on the southern border. So why don't we just start with an introduction. Um, Tell us a little bit about who you are, your family, your operation. Just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, first of all, thank you for having me, Jaden. I appreciate it. Um, Like you said, my name is Erica Valdez. My family and I live in the very southwestern corner of New Mexico. We uh, manage a cow-calf ranch and raise quarter horses. We are not directly on the border. We're probably probably 40 miles as the crow flies from the closest corner or part of the border. We've been here the majority of my life. My husband and I've been back here for 13 or 14 years managing the place. And I was raised here and we're raising a 16 year old daughter. And that's, that's pretty much what we do. Awesome. Well, it's great to meet you and I'm excited, excited to get into it. So I guess kind of go back to that of what was it like growing up in this area and kind of how did that shape your experience on this immigration issue that we have going on? The immigration issues changed considerably since I was, since I was younger, since I was my daughter's age, you know, when we, um, when we would run into groups of, of illegals coming across the ranch, uh, they were large groups, typically over 25. Um, we would always approach them with basically a a Christian mentality. We'd offer them water, food, give them a place to stay if they needed it. Sometimes we'd give them a ride up to the interstate. We'd work them for a couple days if they wanted work, just whatever needed to do to make it easier for them. They were always a very humble, grateful type of person that was looking for a better way of life and just wanted didn't want to cause any problems. Just wanted to come here for, for more opportunity. They were typically uh, true family units. You know, there'd be mom, dad, couple kids, sometimes grandparents or cousins in tow. And like I said, they were just coming here for, for a better way of life. 
uh, over the years, we've seen a change in that in that dynamic. We don't see the family units anymore and even large units. We are seeing men, typically late teens to mid thirties, um, sometimes by themselves, sometimes in groups of four or five. Most of them are heavily armed carrying drugs and wearing military camo and camouflage to to hide out in the brush and it's just a completely different mindset when we do run across anybody that is of a family unit or, or really is coming here for for work they're totally different minded they're demanding and very entitled they'll they feel like they have or they act like they have you know, a right to be here and, and it's our job to help them. And it's just, it's just a completely different mindset. Interesting. So what kind of made you start like speaking out about this issue? You know, I've seen, you know, I, when I, we were preparing for this, you know, we saw you had been featured in a few articles and you spoke some around the country. What kind of made you start, I guess, raising your voice about this? There were a couple different instances the the main was uh, an employee for a local well drilling company was uh, taken at gunpoint while he was down on the border working and the cartel basically bound him, gagged him, cleaned his vehicle out, loaded it with drugs and drove it across the country or across across the county, across the country to get to into Arizona to make their drop. And, you know, really shook him up. They, they took his driver's license. They knew where he lived. They told him if he spoke out about it, that they would, they would come and retaliate. And it really, it really shook our community up. It scared him, obviously scared his family, scared his employers and really shook everybody in our little community up trying to figure out how we were going to, you know, watch out for each other and ourselves. And it just, it just completely changed the dynamics of, of our County. Um, I think the the most disturbing part of all of it was it never even made state news, much less national news, and nobody's talking about it. And I I'd, I'd had enough, and we we worked together with Arizona cattle growers and New Mexico cattle growers and put on a basically a public meeting in Animus. We had a panel of speakers from all different facets of of industry down here that were affected in different ways by the immigration and drug traffickers and. It was a it was a very well responded meeting, and from there it just kind of it just kind of turned into taking more interviews and taking media crews down to the border and and doing interviews like this, and it's just kind of grown over the years. I don't really know how I got roped into it, but I was probably I guess I was the only one that wouldn't shut up or about it. <laughs> well, um, it seems like you're doing a great job just helping spread the word and telling your story. And I guess, I mean, if you want to, you know, the border situation is such a harsh reality that a lot of Americans hear about, you know, they just kind of read a little bit about it in like a news article, or they see a little video, but they aren't affected by it daily. So would you just maybe expand on some of those realities and stories that y'all on the Southern border deal with on a daily basis? Sure. I think the the biggest thing for us is uh, destruction to property. You know, they'll come, they come across, um, they'll break floats or break valves trying to get to water, and 
you'll they'll drain 10,000 gallon storage on the ground overnight and we have to go back in and fix it. Um, some of the guys that we know that are directly on the border, they, they'll kind of come through, they have these established trails right over the top of, of cow trails coming into water. So they're keeping cattle off of water. Uh, they leave fences down, they, or leave gates open. They steal whatever vehicle they can get their hands on. We've had a couple different vehicles stolen from us. Um, they come right to your house and break in for food or cell phones or anything like that. That's probably the most typical destruction that we have from them. That's not counting the, the dangerous part of it because most of them are heavily armed and it just, it creates a whole different persona around the ranch and around the employees. And it's just a different, it's different than anyone, anybody could ever imagine unless you're down here dealing with it. Yeah. So how have you had, I'm sure you've had to adjust some of your like ranch practices um, in response to like, what have you had to change, I guess, in response to this immigration, ongoing immigration issue? There's really not much we can change. You know, we still have a job to do and we still have cattle to take care of. Uh, what we've done just within our family is, is make sure that our daughter is always in a spot where she has cell phone service. She got a cell phone pretty early in life because we needed her to be able to make calls or get through to us if, if something was wrong. My husband really resisted that because he didn't want her to have one that early. I think she was like 12 when she first got it. But, um, you know, we just try to make sure that she's in a safer, the safest place on the, on whatever pasture we're gathering, because she is going to be by herself for hours at a time. And so we try to make sure that she's in a, a safer, the safest area so she can call out if she gets into some kind of bind. You know, we, my, my husband stays armed all the time. There's guns in every single vehicle we have. There's guns at every single door of the house. Um, I ride with the pistol sometimes, but I don't ever really want to be put in a situation to pull it. And I don't, I just would prefer not to, I will take it sometimes, especially when we're back up in the Hills, my daughter, she's not quite ready to pack yet. And I don't know if we're ready to have that conversation. You know, when you start carrying firearms, it, it changes the whole dynamic of what you have to be able to do with it. And so we just try not to put her in that position. But like businesses that are south of us that work directly on the border, they won't even, they've implemented all kinds of changes that are aside from just the ranch life, but they'll, they won't go down on the border without having, you know, sending people in pairs or more um, government officials that are going to come down and, you know, certify scales or do whatever they have to do on the border. They won't come down without some sort of a security um, person with them. So it's been interesting to see that increase in, in working in pairs, basically. Erica, you and I met um, over a year and a half ago at the South Dakota Women in Ag Conference, and that's how I became familiar with your story and was really just captiva captivated by it. And obviously, one of the things that you and I have in common is that we are both moms. We're both mothers, and we both um, value this way of life and value working with cattle. So I want to back up just a little bit and go over some things that you've just kind of talked about. I want to go a little bit deeper. You know, is there anything else in terms of being a mom and raising your family in this situation 
that you're taking extra precautions, or maybe you can talk about other families with small kids, you know, your daughter's 16. What do you do even with, with small children out on the ranch in these scenarios? You know, even when, in da when Danley was little, we would still, when she was riding with me before she was big enough to kind of really make her own circle and, and really be, you know, an effective part of the gather, she stayed with me. She, we couldn't leave her at home, obviously. So, I mean, she's been riding out here for as long as she could ride. And even when I was ponying her on a horse and the most important thing for us is just making sure that anybody that comes out and helps us, that they're aware of their surroundings. And, you know, with a, a teenage daughter and even before she hit her teenage stage, we always had a group of girls helping us. There was always just a group of her friends. I seemed like all we did was work younger girls and the responsibility that it put on my shoulders was was really heavy and I could really feel it a lot of times especially when we were going to be riding back in the hills or over an area where we knew it was heavily traveled um my husband he's very aware of that and he makes sure that whenever whenever he drops somebody off to start their part of the gather that he's he's strategic in how he places people out in the pasture to make sure that they always have somebody, an adult close by that they can ride to if there's an issue. Um, though, as far as the younger girls go, we just make sure that we always tell them it's just like raising, coming, raised, being raised up out here. We tell them, you know, you always got to watch for rattlesnakes. And it's the same thing, you know, stay off your phone, be paying attention, look around. It's really easy to, to ride up on a bunch that is brushed up uh, during the day while they're waiting until night falls. And so you really have to pay attention to your surroundings and pay attention to your horse and the, whatever dogs are with you. And if they start looking at something, you probably need to be looking at what they're looking at. The biggest thing you can do is just be prepared and, um, and just stay on top of it. We always, we say it all the time, be proactive and not reactive. And that's the most important thing you can do out here is just stay prepared and, and be aware. Let's talk about this scenario in terms of the, the business aspect or, or how it is affecting and harming commerce, business, maybe financial viability down in your area. How does this border situation impact your ranch, your ranch as a business? I mean, certainly it's kind of got to be hard to keep help for some of your, you know, bigger ranches down there. You're, you're absolutely right. The bigger ranches that have several camps and, and, you know, bring in young couples that are trying to get started or just, you know, stay within the lifestyle and they don't get paid very much. We've seen it run so many young families that would have been a viable part of our community completely out of here because of, of whatever, too many, too many instances where the wife is scared and, or the husband's done, he's not willing to put his family in that kind of jeopardy. We've got a lot of friends that live on, there's a very big ranch south of us that over the years, we've seen so much turnover there. And we've become very good friends with a lot of those camp guys and their wives. And, you know, they're all, they all have kids about our daughter's age. And so you become friends with them, even if they're 40 miles away. And, and it's, it's been, the turnover is probably the hardest thing for us to watch. And we've, like I said, we've just lost a lot of good people that would have been very viable parts of our community that they're done with it. They're, if they, if they're not raised around here and it's not, you know, part of the discussion growing up, it is really hard to adjust to, uh, you have to really want to be in this part of the country 
to to stay here during all of that with the break-ins and the vehicle theft and whatever damage and just scares you know we tell Danley all the time every morning at, when she goes out to feed you pay attention walking into the barn you know if they're if they overnighted you'll know and hopefully they're not still there and most kids never have to think about that they can just walk in their barn and start feeding and and you just can't think like that down here you've always got to be paying attention so Erica, I believe it was down in Arizona last month, maybe two months ago, um, a rancher was protecting his property and fired some shots or whatever. And, and an illegal immigrant was struck and I believe killed and was, it's been alarming for me to watch that unfold up here in Nebraska, knowing that, I mean, I probably, I could have done the same thing. And yet the state his state his county his government whatever is not standing behind him saying that he had that right to protect his property the the immigrant was dangerously close i mean within firing distance of his home it's not like that rancher went out looking for trouble tell me about your perspective on that scenario we've had so i have so many stories of friends from texas to California that have put it been put in situations like this. Um, I, I don't, I don't know how to answer it. My, the biggest, my biggest fear or my biggest concern is the lack of, of care from our, our government and the consideration of us as American citizens to protect ourselves. They're so, they either just don't want to admit that there's an issue or they're covering it up for whatever reason. I don't know, but I just know that they don't, they do not consider it an issue down here. And if they do, they're not willing to address it. There's, I think that the, we're so sparsely populated and there's just so few of us in numbers that it's not, it's not a priority to them. I have a friend that they live about 80 miles South East of us, or excuse me, West of us into Arizona he was driving around checking waters and he had his little boy with him. And he says he, he pulled up to a dirt tank where there was a trough there too. And he was going to check on it and that you saw some illegals that were kind of hiding. And he says he pulled up to the trough and he, he just looked in it and he was going to turn around and leave. And this guy, this illegal came running up, grabbed a hold of his grill guard and started banging his head against the grill guard. Well, it really scared his son and he thought he was on drugs or just crazed for whatever reason and like left as fast as he could got out of there got home that night a sheriff's deputy showed up at the house and said that this illegal was in the hospital in douglas and that he was he had said he that he hit him with a truck and they were going to pursue pressing charges against him and that and they were going to try to arrest my friend in the middle of the night at his house. And it, that, that happens all the time, whether it's property or a situation like that, where we literally are defenseless because if we do anything to retaliate against them, we don't have any, we don't have any support from our government. And it's, it's, it's just a very sad situation that we're less of a priority than the illegals coming across. Erica, I think you just named this podcast, Jaden defenseless on the border. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I don't think I need to ask you any further your feelings on whether the American government has your back because I think you just stated it pretty clearly and it is 
it's heartbreaking because like I said, I watched it as a Nebraska rancher up here and I'm thinking not even as a rancher, as a human being, his, his property was threatened. He was threatened. And there's just been a complete lack of disregard for that fact as an American citizen. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, what's most alarming to me is we've been told flat out told by law enforcement that if we end up shooting an illegal, that we better make sure he's in the house or drag him in the house before we call the police. That's the only way that we can get away with defending ourselves is if he is physically in the house. It doesn't matter if he's in the yard or the barn or anything like that. They've told us if you end up in that situation, you make sure you drag that body in the house and we shouldn't have to. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's um, indescribable that we are not seeing that we are not seeing you guys be um, supported. Right. Yeah. I speechless, I guess, is the word I have. Um, Okay, let's let's go on. You know, we've talked about the human side of this this issue, this controversy that is so very real down there. Let's talk about it in terms of the the livestock side, the cattle side. Talk to us about the effect that the migration of these of these illegals, you know, through these ranches, you know, around water sites, the health effect that this has on your domesticated cattle down there. Well, bio- biosecurity is always a, a major concern. Uh, when the when there was the, such a surge of asylum seekers down on the at the ports, and we were just getting overrun, and that's when we really saw a large increase of of just bodies out here. It wasn't necessarily drug runners, just, just people coming across, you know, they're, you don't know what they're, what they're coming across with, what diseases they have. You don't know if any of it can be transmitted to cattle. They'll, they camp at waters. They'll leave diapers and trash and, and whatever else right there at a water. So you know that they've been there. You don't know what they've done in the trough itself as far as washing hands or washing up. And it, there's always a major concern. I There's nothing we can do about it though. I mean, they're going to come across where they come across and we just have to try to stay ahead of it and, and just be out there as much as we can, keeping an eye on things. You know, Erica, I would really like to know your opinion on whether you think that there are cattle crossing the border without proper documentation and quarantine processes down there. I don't see that happening at all. The, the, the border crossing, the procedures at the border crossing is so intense as far as the quarantine and the the dipping vats and their crossing their crossing protocol in general i just don't see it happening the only thing that i can maybe see happening is and i've heard about it some is where they'll have a, a cartel drive through on the border one night and american cattle will get into mexico and it's up to the american rancher to go back in and and bring those cattle back across i mean that's probably the most common where I would hear of or think of an animal crossing the border without without going through all of the quarantine process. It just doesn't happen, I wouldn't think, very often. Interesting. Okay. You know, we have listeners on this podcast that are all over the country, and the bulk of our CAFS membership is from the Midwest. And so one of the things that stuck with me after I listened to you speak up there at South Dakota was you were pretty 
pretty blunt and, you know, telling us why this affects us up here in the North, um, why this border crisis is something we have got to get involved on, involved in, because it's not just, you know, affecting ranchers that live 60 miles off the border down there. How does this affect me up here in Nebraska? Let's it's, you know, we, as border ranchers, we're going to deal with the destruction and mayhem of the crossers themselves, whatever comes with them, whether it's disease or destruction or, or, or damage to property or, or whatever, that's, that's what we deal with directly. But what I think a lot of people turn a blind eye to or ear to is that the drugs that they're bringing across are not staying down here. They're coming to your communities and your schools and um, yeah, we deal with the traffic itself, but the drugs are coming into your communities and your schools and it's affecting everybody in this country. Same with the illegal immigration. I mean, you know, that's a whole other, that's a whole other ball game when you, you can't compare the drug trafficking to the illegal immigration because that's like apples and oranges, but um, it's the same thing. All of those illegals, they're not staying here. They're coming to your area and with the comes, they're bringing whatever, they want to bring with them. And so it doesn't just affect us, it affects everyone. And I don't think people think like that. Yeah, I, I remember you kind of painted a picture of how far is that interstate from the border? The closest it runs is probably, probably 40 miles on, on average is what it would be from the border. Um, it gets closer as it gets into Texas and right where we're at because of the, the shape of our state and the boot hill, it can be up to 60 or 70 miles from the border. But once they get there, there's immigration checks east and west of us and on some of the major highways heading north. But there are a lot of back roads that these traffickers and the cartel know, know what to take. And if they can get it to the interstate, it can be in your back door within 24 hours. Yeah, that's a pretty, um, pretty concerning thought. And so I'm glad you were able to articulate that well. Well, last year, RCAF USA members passed policy in support of border enforcement, and we're big defenders of America's private property rights. So talk to us about how, um, you know, this is an American issue and an American private property rights issue. And I guess, what is the solution you want to see us all be engaged in? So New Mexico and Arizona are a little different than a lot of the other states because we do have so much public land. I mean, we're considered public lands states because the majority of our ranchers are ranches are made up of federal, state, and private property. So we deal with trespassers, whether they're hunters, hikers, illegals, all very differently than what than how how somebody in Nebraska would handle them. Um, and it's the same for Texas and California. Texas is a private property state. So it's it's a lot harder for us to regulate traffic across us because we can't we can't prohibit somebody from coming on to our property. Um, we can control access through the public or through the private property, but if there's public land that the only access to that is through private, we cannot deny them access during things like hunting season or or like the Continental Divide Trail hikers. So. We have to, we deal with it in a very different way than a lot of other states do. Um, I think the biggest issue is the lack of a government concern for something like private property rights and recognizing that 
you know, we pay taxes and own that property and, and it's not just up for grabs and it's not for anyone to take. And, and I just don't think that there's enough government pushback to control those issues. I'm curious to know whether you, whether the state of New Mexico, where you're at, at the state level, do you feel like, you know, your, your state government wants to get aggressive on this issue or are they just stepping back and thinking the federal government should take the lead or? We have a, a really sorry governor and that's all there is to it. She, she doesn't care about anything that, that we as a more conservative um, citizen would care about. We are very fortunate to have some amazing legislators within our, within our Senate and Congress that really, really want to try to, to do what's best for us. They come down, they visit, they want to be educated on exactly what it's like. We've taken them on tours so to make sure that they understand exactly what we're dealing with. And, and um, I have to give them credit they try very hard to make sure that they are on top of our issues and doing the best they can. But when it gets to Washington, there's just so few that really know what the reality is down here. And, and whatever bills they're trying to pass or whatever headways they're trying to make, it just doesn't, it doesn't make a difference up there because they're just so uneducated on what our realities are. I think it's a big problem also of just like the, whenever they do come down, like, you know, I don't remember, I think it was Kamala Harris or something that came down the other, like a few months ago or something. Yes. They always tend to visit, you know, the part of the border of there is a big wall that, you know, they never go to the parts of where there's just like a barbed wire fence that Correct. separates the two. And I feel like that's so important to, I guess, spread. And honestly, like, I don't know. I you're doing a great job of spreading that information. And so I guess how do we get more ranchers like you to speak out about it or, you know, just raise their voice of this is what is happening and it's affecting everybody. You know, there's several people that I know of that will will answer your questions and will take you on tours. Every time I have somebody call and say they want to look at the border, I have three or four fa uh, friends that that do have uh, property right along the border they're the first ones I call and they always say yep when are you coming what do we need to do there's so many people down here that are willing to tell their story and uh the problem everyone's busy you know we've got a lot of responsibilities and it's hard to make this a priority it's really hard especially for someone like me trying to fit it in around everything else we've got going on and like I have a, a guy in in North Dakota that's wanting me to come up to and speak at their Farm Bureau conference. And we had to schedule it seven months out so that I could make sure I could be there. And I mean, that's just what we have to do. I feel like us border residents need to be more proactive in that and do what we can to educate others that are not down here on, you know, the realities of what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And I think the more common citizens and and you know ranchers from across the country that do know the realities and have listened to these podcasts and have heard me and others speak and have seen the pictures you know pictures worth a lot of what is what what is the saying a picture's worth a thousand words mm -hmm. um those that can see that and and actually view it 
have a much better understanding. And if they can go talk to their legislators and make sure that their legislators know what's going on and encourage them to educate themselves on the realities, the mainstream media and our government are lying about what it's really like. They're pulling on the heartstrings of the humanitarian side of us, you know, showing these moms and babies and and why making us feel horrible, horrible and very sorry for them, which it is, it's a horrible situation. It breaks my heart as a mom. I would never want to imagine what it's like to live somewhere so bad. You're willing to make a 60 or 70 mile trek into the United States for a better life, but they've still got to make an American citizens a priority. Yeah. So I kind of shifting a little bit, how does the border patrol play into this? Um, well, those those poor guys. Um, you know, we've seen over the years and through different different presidents, a, a sh- major shift within the morale of the Border Patrol. Um, when Trump was in office, it was high. They were very, they were very, I don't know, happy to be having a to have a job and to be able to do their job. And you could see just a shift in in the whole mentality within the Border Patrol. Um, Biden has shut that down, just like Obama did. When they're not allowed to do their job and all they're forced to do is is basically push paperwork and process people all day, it's just completely changed the way they look at things. And it's really heartbreaking for me. We've got some very good friends that are within the Border Patrol that have tried to make a life here and raise families here and are part of the communities just like us. And I feel so bad for them because they 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 know what's really going on. They're not allowed to speak about it. They're only allowed to do so much within their job. It's just a really, really crappy situation for them. I suppose it's like send, sending um, some firefighters to a wildfire with a garden hose. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And and it's even worse than that because they're this catch and release or just process them and send them back to Mexico kind of thing is it's just such a waste of time. It's way, it's such a waste of taxpayer dollars and their, their, um, their work ethic is just, I feel so bad for them. I don't even know how to explain it. Do you think that this, the border situation, um, the secure, the security could be enhanced tighter if local control was given to your areas? Somewhat, yes. I mean, absolutely. I the problem is, is like I said, because we're so sparse and it's so unpopulated out here, we rely very heavily on the border patrol because they are warm bodies on the border. I say all the time that um, the wall is not going to stop them. They're gonna they're gonna go under it, over it, or through it, and unless someone's on the other side. They're just going to keep on coming, whether it's traffickers or drugs. And um, the Border Patrol needs to be on the border, not 50 miles north. Excellent points. Excellent points. Well, as we kind of start to wrap up here, Karina, do you have anything else to add? No. You know, Erica, your presentation back there in South Dakota, I still think about the pictures that you had up on the projector. They were haunting. They were um, just left me speechless. And I have a lot of admiration for you and the fight that that you have on this issue. I've learned a lot from you. 
Thank you. I really appreciate that. I when I started, so the, the speech that I gave at South Dakota was my first big public appearance on this topic. And since then I've wow. I've um made more contacts and I've reached out to more border residents and I've expanded my the picture collection, if you will, because it was very important to me from the beginning, two things. One, that I was portraying it in a very realistic and true way. And two, that I was showing you examples from California to Texas and not just focusing on what it's done to our family. I wanted to make sure that they, everybody understands that it's the same, worse in some places, not so bad in others, but similar to what we go through all the way across. Excuse me. And um, it's, it's, I don't take that responsibility lightly. I, I don't know how I got roped into this, but here I am. And if somebody's going to speak about it, I might as well be doing the best I can to, to show a very educated approach to it. Yeah. Well, you're doing a great job. I know I've said that a few times, but you really have, you're kind of the first person we've seen that is a rancher that brings a perspective that maybe people in the Northwest and Midwest can't relate to all the way because they don't live on the border, but they can relate to raising, trying to raise livestock, trying to raise a family, but then you have all these added struggles and so do the right. ranchers around you. And so we have a lot of respect for you and the way you're sharing this story. But what Thank about you, America? Do you have anything else to add, I guess, that you want our listeners to know or just that we didn't get to in the podcast? No, I don't think so. I, I think you did a very good job covering covering it from top to bottom. Um, I just really appreciate the opportunity to speak out and to help help people make educated opinions on the subject and hoping that if they know the truth, then hopefully they can reach out to their legislators and, and help them stay informed. And without policy change, nothing's going to change. So that's the only thing we can do. Yeah. Well, we always wrap up our podcast with one question and it's an easier one than all the other ones we've <laughs> asked you. And what is your favorite cut of beef and how do you like it prepared? It's a, that's a hard question, actually. I love it all. Um, it seems like ground beef is probably a staple in our home, but if we're going to do something special, it's always a good ribeye and medium rare is my favorite. Yep, that's that's the most popular answer is a ribeye mm -hmm. medium rare. <laughs> but. Thank you, Erica, for joining us today and for bringing light to this issue. This is not just a California, Arizona, New Mexico and Texas issue, but truly an American issue and an American private property rights issue. Ranchers and communities on the border need our help. It is so important to share their stories and continue bringing this issue to the attention of legislators and fellow Americans. We can't say this enough. Call that Capital Switchboard number 202-224-3121 and speak with your senators and representative today. Thanks for tuning in today. Make sure you like and subscribe and make sure to stay engaged in the conversation and give us a follow at RCAPUSA on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. RCAPUSA is set apart from all other National Cattle Associations because we rely solely on membership dues and donations to carry out our mission to ensure the continued profitability and independence of United States cattle producers. And we exist only because of support from our members. So we ask you to help support RCAF USA and become a member today. First year new membership dues are $50 and after that all renewals are $100 each year. So to become a member or to donate, call 
2516 or go to r-calfusa.com.